Welcome to the Proclaim and Defend podcast, a ministry of the Foundations Baptist Fellowship International. We seek to encourage and inform pastors on modern-day topics from a biblical perspective. Our mission is to bring together like-minded Baptists to collaborate in glorifying God through fulfilling the Great Commission. Hello, everyone. It's Don Johnson with the Proclaim and Defend podcast. Our podcast this week is called Introducing Dr. David Anderson. David Anderson is the new president at Maranatha Baptist University. And uh, for this podcast, I was joined by an MBU grad, Andy Montgomery. He's on the staff of Colonial Hills Baptist Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. And uh, he joined me as co-host. We had a great conversation with Dr. Anderson and wanted to take this opportunity to introduce him to you and get a little bit of a sense of what's happening at Maranatha and his vision for the school and so forth. And we, uh, now we recorded this in a, with three separate devices. And so I hope there's no glitches. Uh, we, uh, Andy was using his phone due to circumstances. He was, I think the recording turned out pretty well. Uh, but there may be a few little audio hiccups there. So I hope that doesn't distract you. The main uh, event was, of course, the answers that Dr. Anderson provided. So I think that you'll find that interesting and uh, might uh, give you some thoughts for if you have young people that you might want to send your kids there to that school. That's uh, one of the schools that we heartily recommend. So as always in our podcast, I do also want to remind you about subscribing. Uh, we, If you are a paying subscriber, that entitles you to read the frontline articles that we publish on our Substack, uh, and yet if you subscribe annually, you will uh, also receive the print magazine delivered to your door. So we encourage you to do that and hope that you can take advantage of that and support the good work that we're trying to do here at the FBFI. So without any further ado, I'm going to turn it over now and uh, to uh, our program with Dr. Anderson and Andy Montgomery. All right. Good morning. This is Don Johnson with the Proclaim and Defend podcast, and we have uh, a new uh, feature today. We have a co-host, Andy Montgomery. He's on the staff at Colonial Hills Baptist Church in Indianapolis, Indiana, and he's a graduate of Maranatha Baptist Bible uh, Bible College. Was it Bible College when you graduated, Andy? Uh, undergrad. It was the last year of Bible College Seminary. It was University by that time. Okay. So anyway, you're from Maranatha, <laughs> and the reason that's significant is today we are interviewing David Anderson, who is the president, the new president at Maranatha Baptist Bible College. So Andy and I are tag teaming today, and I uh, I have drawn the uh, short straw for the first two questions with Dr. Anderson. So Dr. Anderson, uh, maybe you should just tell the folks a little bit of your background first before we ask questions, uh, your ministry background, what the Lord has done in your life in those in those years. Sure. Yeah. So I uh, was at Maranatha for college, started my seminary work here, um, then transferred out to Calvary Baptist Theological Seminary in Lansdale, uh, finally graduating. I, I was one of those guys that you know crammed four years of college into five, crammed three years of seminary into five, um, but finally graduated in 91, uh, was in ministry out in Pennsylvania at Faith Baptist Church in Lebanon, Pennsylvania for five years, uh, and then uh, was in ministry in Michigan then for 15 years, uh, originally under Dr. David Cummins, 
as his assistant pastor. Uh, and then as he went to Baptist World Mission, uh, Dr. Marriott came, and then I was his assistant for a dozen years, uh, then was the interim pastor there while they were searching for a church after, or searching for a pastor after Dr. Marriott came to Maranatha. And then, uh, after a couple of years of that, uh, Lord led us to Illinois, um, Roscoe, little town of Roscoe, although the, I, I rejoice that that church is right alongside the freeway. So our outreach was <laughs> phenomenal. Uh, you could see right. us from the, the, the last, the most northern toll booth in Illinois, the, the famous toll booths. I think those are like the state capitol buildings around the state of Illinois. Anyways, always looking for your money there. Um, our, uh, our church was there. So our outreach was phenomenal. We could reach all the way down to the south end of Rockford. We had folks coming uh, from uh, up all the way up to Janesville, Wisconsin. Many of our church family, about 50% of our church family was in uh, actually in Wisconsin, both of my assistant pastors lived in Wisconsin, came across the line to Illinois. Anyways, so there for 12 years serving the Lord, um, maybe a little bit of family background. It has some significant impact um, on my life and ministry. It, uh, my first wife passed from cancer while we were in Michigan. Um, and then the Lord in his grace, uh, as he developed and grew me, I I'll need those things. The Lord gave me a second wife. Um, and so Abby and I have been married. We were married just before moving to Illinois. Um, so she uh, stepped into the role of being a mom immediately to my four older children. Uh, now we have five grandchildren. Um, and then we have two younger children. I have a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old. I really, I, I get a kick just because it's what the Lord has done in my life. But I, I get always, I get these uh, really weird, strange looks when I'm out preaching. I'd say, I, I recommend men, we should have children in our 50s. It's great. And I get this really clear <laughs> look. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am delighted for God's plan in my life, and I wouldn't change right. it for the world. And those, my two younger children are, are a delight. Um, there, I would, right. there would probably say that my youngest, who's a little girl, Dory Seven, um, she probably has daddy wrapped around his, her little finger quite well. Um, I'm still going to be the good disciplinarian, uh, you know, providing direction. I'm grateful for my wife who, who cares for the children so well. Anyways, I'm having the time of my life with the younger kids. And of course, when the grandkids come over, it's like a whole pile of cousins, you know, and they're just having a ball. Right. So anyway. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's great. So now you've been the president of Maranatha. Now I put in my notes, you've been in the harness for a quarter of a year. Yes. And uh, I said it that way just to make it sound longer than three months. Right. And uh, so could you tell me of, uh, of something you've experienced so far that was just as you expected and perhaps something you didn't expect? You Probably they actually go hand in hand. Um, ha having been on the board for a number of years and so interacting with the administration at some level in that capacity, I knew that the, the labor and the work that goes on around here is if I can put it in good terms, highly efficient. We run a lean, mean machine around here. Um, and so I anticipated plenty of labor. And, of course, it's utterly different than being a pastor. Uh, the schedule is far more locked uh, just because you're going to classes, all those kinds of things. And that's happening around here. It's a part of the warp and woof of the, of the ministry. Um, but so then the negative side, if I can put it that way, is – I was I was anticipating being overwhelmed with learning the processes, learning the machinery, um, 
And the downside is, is wow, it's overwhelming. <laughs> but at the same time to say, I, what, it, at least in these, and I hope that this will always continue. I, uh, as I observe and watch our, our administration and our faculty and staff, and see all of these dear people that have committed their lives to being directly engaged in, in training the next generation. And they are sacrificially serving, not just, just not just on the financial end, but on the time end and the effort end. And Maranatha, you know, has, has tried to always be exceptional in their educational processes. And a lot of that comes back to these teachers that have just, just give, give, give. And I, so as my role as a president, I'm just trying to come along and keep cheering them on, loving on them to tell them, thank you. You are, you are serving the Lord in ways that many people will never see or know. Your Lord knows. And that's significant. So anyways, so yes, um, my, my life schedule is crazy at this moment. I'm trying to start learning some equilibrium and balance and all of that. And that will come with time by God's grace. But it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing machine that runs around here. So. <laughs> yeah, that, that's interesting. And one of the things that you said about the sacrifice of, of faculty, and I, you know, my experience as I, uh, for the purpose of this podcast, I went to that little school down south as Billy Graham described it in his yes, autobiography. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> anyway, but you know, you look at this, the faculty that invest in students' lives. And a lot of them, I would say most of them, could be educating somewhere else. Correct. And they could be having research assistants, and they could be writing books. Right. And people criticize us for not writing, but you know what? Our our gifted people give to their young people to produce a new generation, not so much to produce books. Correct. Correct. And I, you know, there is, I would uh, say amen to that biblical process. Um, mm-hmm. Scriptures have been written. We have what we need in some respects. I realize we want to keep studying, and that's what we're all about in education. Yeah. But that that people are pouring into the lives of the next generation, that's how it gets transported to the next generation. And I am grateful to see that happening. And we'll do everything I can to keep that going. So, Right. Right. Okay. So, Andy, I'm going to turn it over to you now. So, if you want to pick up okay. on your uh, your list, sure. Pastor Anderson, it's good to see her, Doctor Anderson. I guess now. Amen. All right. You'll probably get used to that switch too. A little bit. A little bit. Yes. Yeah. Um, as an alumnus, the first question I was going to start with. This might be a little bit of a softball, but that phrase to the praise of His glory. If there's any phrase that you come out of being at Maranatha hearing over and over and over again. It's that wonderful phrase from Ephesians 1. Yeah. And uh, so in your role as the president, I guess the question is, how has that phrase impacted your life personally and now in your role as the president? So maybe a little bit of a softball here. but Although it, it, it lends itself to telling you a little bit about my spiritual growth. So, yes, you hear those phrases all the time as young men, um, and you're trying to get it, trying to understand what that really means and how it looks in real life. Um, and, and for God to so work in my heart through hard times, through challenges, not just with the passing of my wife, but that's true in everybody's life. The God is working for us to become utterly dependent upon him, and therefore it brings glory to his name. 
Um, and so really the, the destroying of our selfish hearts, of our utter submission to God. Um, and so I trust that, you know, 40 years approximately removed from graduating from college, um, that I have learned those lessons at least better than I knew at, or even had a clue about when I first stepped, you know, across the podium and got my bachelor's degree. Um, and, and the significance of that, then of course, and Andy, you and I, it's, it's around here all the time. It's a part of our mission. We're about, you know, training leaders for the local church and for, for the world, uh, to the praise of his glory. Um, so we hear it all the time, uh, but to see it lived, to learn it, maybe is that the better way to, to learn it has been a powerful thing in my own heart and life. And really, as I come back, I, our vice president of development, he picked up on it in one of my first interviews and he was like, I mean, he wasn't literally jumping, but he came and told me later, he was just totally fired up. And I said, what is really, who is Maranatha? If you want to put a personality to Maranatha, and I, I believe that that personality is that our, our graduates are known for just being faithful, consistent laborers in their local churches around the world. They're not big names. And that's, that's, I'm not a big name. Um, that God put me here is an amazing story in some respects. Why would he choose me? Um, but the reality is, is I really am, who I am has been dramatically affected by the education that I received and by the people that I, that the Lord has put around me who are Maranatha graduates and they're just out faithfully serving the Lord. It's not for their glory. It's for God's glory. And to see that actually happen. And like I said, the rice president of Bellman, he was like, yes, that's who we are. We're just kind of normal Joes out there serving the Lord. Amen. Cause that brings glory to God. So. Amen. Yeah. That's great. It's been my experience too. Yeah. So the next question. So I got to be in school with three of your kids. So Dave, and Dan. Yes. Three great friends throughout that time. But um, now you've had a lot of experience, Maranatha. You you were there as a student. Now your kids were there as a student. Now you're there in this role. Yeah. Um, living in Watertown, and so with all that in mind, like what things about Maranatha have changed since through the, your time there? Not everyone has that that wide of a view of the history of Maranatha. You've had touches for a long time. Well, and, and really part of that story is um, I, my dad was a student too, as a married student. That's right. So I have been connected with Maranatha in some way since 1971. So just a few years in, um, we have, we have a wonderful family story that we love to tell on Dr. Cedarholm. Um, we, back in the day, we were, my, my mom and my sister were going to one of the football games, um, over at Washington Park. So we didn't even have a football field on Maranatha campus at that point. Going over there, well, it was a super cold day and, and mom kind of broke the rules a little bit. She let, she let my sister, cause it was so cold, she let my sister wear pants, right? Back in the day. It's, it's, <laughs> Well, she was all up in her winter coat. She had a stocking cap on. She's wearing pants. Mom and Michelle walk by Dr. Cedarholm. Dr. Cedarholm pants her on the head and says to my mom, good to see your preacher boy here today. We, we laughed and laughed. Of course, mom didn't say, well, it's no, it's not a preacher boy. It's a little girl. Anyway, um, so, and that may be a great story. Yeah, yeah. 
It's a little uh, illustrative of maybe what has changed at Maranatha, but what has stayed the same. Um, we And we'll never do this perfectly. No one will. But as we've tried to at Maranatha with our our Baptist doctrine, with with our a theological conservative positions, and the practice of that, we've, we've tried to maintain a biblical application of Scripture to how we live life. Now, a school is a school is a school. It's got to have rules to function and to live together. Um, what I've appreciated as I've interacted over these last, maybe let's say last couple of decades, even into this current decade and present time, is to see the the very purposeful engagement of Maranatha and how do we as Christians engage our culture, not losing our testimony, not losing our holiness, honoring the God with it, but also living in the culture that we live in and how do we interact and how can we reach souls for Christ so that we're not, if I can be bold to say, we're not viewed as Amish in our living out of our Christian faith, but also not viewed as utterly worldly in living out our Christian faith. And that's that's the challenge. And I, I rejoice to see Maranatha working really hard at making Christianity real and right at the same time. Uh, so, there, you know, most uh, there's a level at which most Maranatha grads, and I think this is not just Maranatha grads. I would say this is probably true of many Bible college graduates, um, Bible universities even, they, they at some point in their critical thinking, they're growing up, they're maturing through college, um, especially the guys, um, their brains aren't all connected yet. They're learning, they're growing. And there comes a point at which in their critical thinking, they criticize everything about the rules and the standards of their school. Um, but then as they grow older, they realize, oh, those were, those were actually rather practical and, and pretty smart, actually. <laughs> And in fact, I want to follow them in my life, um, in, at some level, uh, and to see that, to see that, um, in action and then helping our teachers helping communicate that in biblical sense. So it's not rules for rules sake, but biblical reasons for the rules. That's been super refreshing to see that around Ernatha. Um, and I rejoice to hopefully see that continue. We, if we're Baptists and we are, and we, the Bible's our only rule of faith and practice then we'd better be able to have a biblical answer for all that we do in this life. Not just because, not just because that's what we did, but because it's biblical. And we're striving to live out those biblical principles as we apply it to our life. Anyways, there you go. Amen. Amen. It's a great answer. John, I think I have one more, and then I pass it back to you, right? That's right. Yes, that's the plan. Okay. Okay. So, Pastor, this is one I'm just really curious about from your perspective, because I think the opinions are probably all over the map on it. But in the role as a college president, probably 50 years ago, the role of a college president, everybody knew was he pours into the faculty and the staff. And I think the old school view was almost like, who cares what the students think about him? His role is to, to minister to the faculty and staff. Now, in the modern day, I don't know that a college will succeed without the students having a good relationship, to some extent, Correct. with the president. Where, so where's the, where's the 
balances on that balance? Probably the answer is somewhere in the middle, but how do you think through some of that right. this new role? Right. Well, okay. So as you know, what we've done at Maranatha, maybe you don't know, and I will tell you, uh, several years ago, some of it was the impetus when Dr. Marriott got his cancer, and we were looking through as a board um, and as administration on the on the college side, on the university side, looking through how do we perpetuate this university so it will continue to be faithful to what it has been and continue to grow. So as you know, we uh, several years ago split up the role between president and and CEO. So. Um, and those, those were a board decision. Very, it was a joy to see some unanimity in that, although plenty of discussion in those processes. It's very interesting in this current environment in the educational world and the higher learning world, how many universities have already done that or are doing it currently, even in some of the closer fellowship or with circles, maybe that's what I should, circles of universities that would be like us in some of their philosophy. They're seeing the value of doing that. So, that, and this is where it speaks to the, your question. Um, because the CEO handles a lot of the administrative stuff on in in house, so uh, Dr. Davis's role is very engaged with the faculty and staff um, from an academic and from a employer type setting, um, and as well then the the vice president of academic affairs answers directly to him. So there are some processes that are directly involved in how we set up our academic curriculum that the CEO really has a hands-on. And my role as president is somewhat a step removed from that. Now, my role as president is directly engaged in our College of Bible and Church Ministry, We and we'll maintain that because they want a pastor's heart in, in affecting our ministerial students, and as well, I'm the president of the seminary. So I have that direct role in those two areas, in the College of Bible and Church Ministry and in the seminary. So I'm doing some of the things that Dr. Davis would do on the, all the other all the departments and colleges. Um, but you are absolutely right, Andy, in the, the significance, it appears, of this younger generation, though they are highly techy and they, they build relationships online, they are desperate. They long for, and you can hear it in some of their evaluations. Uh, you can see it in ministry. I presume you've run into it in ministry as well, where they they don't know what it looks like to have an, a close and intimate personal relationship with a pastor, a mentor in their life, and they long for it. They absolutely long for it. They look for those things. So there is a level at which, uh, because of our split in the CEO and president, it allows me as the president with our faculty and staff to be to, to be focused on and engaged in the spiritual needs of our faculty and staff, striving to create unity among our faculty and staff from the spiritual end, which is a which is a wonderful platform to do. We're, I mean, hey, we're brethren in Christ. How can we do this? Um, that's an important. But then you're right for me to engage with the students um, and so that they know that that like my office door is available, that I'm open to them, that they can come talk to me. Um, but then, and they're usually reticent to do that. There's typical kids. They see the president as somebody he's really not. He's not this big name person. He's just a normal Joe, but has a role in it. So there are times I have to reach out. And I will say in my three months here, that's been my biggest burden is to try to figure out how to build those relationships um, one of the things that Maranatha has done and done, I think, tremendously well that 
Um, I don't know if it was going on when you were here, Andy, or not. Uh, but we have on Wednesdays, instead of having, instead of having a regular chapel hour, uh, we have small groups. Um, COVID kind of forced our hand, COVID forced our hand a little bit with trying to handle all the regulations. Um, but it has turned into an immensely valuable ministry opportunity where our entire student body campus on resident campus is divided up among all of our faculty and staff. We have a couple of local pastors that help us as well. And for that chapel hour, we're all over this campus in small classrooms everywhere dealing with groups of 10 to 12 students. We have an organized Bible study that, that this year Dr. Saxon has put together. We're studying through Second Peter together, and that gives us a guide um, to help us discuss God's Word together. But we're creating these personal interactions that are happening. And so for me, my the first level of interaction with students has been my small group. And they finally have gotten over my weirdness and are actually talking to me. <laughs> and I, and it's delightful. And so, and, and it's gonna, I suspect, spread from there. They're, they're talking, oh yeah, Dr. Anderson is da da da. And they laugh about it and they have fun, but that's creating relationship. And so we've, Abby and I, my wife and I have already had some unique opportunities to minister directly to needs. Um, that, of course, we have plenty of faculty and staff that can do that too. But that we've had the privilege to do that has been a precious gift to us. And I trust that the Lord will help us do that. Um, I, I do feel like this is a small thing, but a significant thing. As I lead in chapel, that interaction from the pulpit needs to be very personable, not astute, not far away from them, not detached, but attached. I'm working on that. Of course, that makes me vulnerable. It also can make me say silly things at times, which it's like, oh, I shouldn't have said it that way. Anyway. Um, but I'm, hope, <laughs> I'm hoping that that creates a personal relationship, and I, I sense that that's beginning, and I'm grateful for that. Sure. Yeah, I, I think you're right about chapel. Yeah. Because um, chapel is every day of the week. Yeah. Really strong opportunity. So yeah. Great to hear that. Amen. Okay, so, well, I, I, as you're talking, there's things that I think, boy, I should ask about that, but I'm not sure if that will derail us. So. Uh, I mean, one of the things you mentioned how COVID forced you to change some of your chapel structures. Now, is there not, I don't want to rehash. None of us want to go back. So, but has that changed? Cause you were on campus, you were on the board, but has that changed the way things are done at all? Um, thankfully, uh, we're past it. Um, yeah. So we're grateful. Um, we're, you know, obviously there's probably, I, I think really among the student body because this generation has, that has so impacted them. And whether we like it or not, that's reality. Um, and so there is, there is more of a, frankly, a germ consciousness around the campus than used to be back in my day. I mean, let me tell you some of the things we did, you know, anyway. Um, yeah. Um, and all the interaction in the dorm life and all this kind of stuff. So, that that continues to have some effect, um, and even how we handle sickness when a student is sick and so forth. There there's some protocol that's been put in place that I think is reasonable, but also very healthy. Uh, but thankfully, in the normal processes of our classes and interacting in the in the dining hall, um, that I I feel like again this is from my brief observation over a quarter of a year. There you go. I feel like yes. that. <laughs> 
that were in many ways past COVID, and I'm grateful. And it seems like I would say that many in our student body, not all, but many in our student body are very much have grown beyond some of the fear of COVID um, and, and fear of sickness. And we love the interaction again, and I'm grateful for that. So what the, one of the lasting effects that, like I said, has been a good effect is really that, that breaking the student body down into small groups has been, I think it's produced spiritual fruit in the lives and impact that we, we would have never thought would happen, and it's happening. And so that's a direction right. that we don't plan to give up, actually. So. Right. Well, that's good. Okay. So, well, the, the burden of my questions, the next set is basically on uh, the, uh, the preaching class, the ministerial class. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm, uh, I'm nearing the age. I mean, I know I won't last forever. So I'm nearing the age where people, well, most, a lot of guys I see on Facebook, my friends say, well, I'm retiring. I'm like, what? You know, you're, you know, yeah. you're younger than me. Right. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, and, and I, I say, and okay, so, all right. So, uh, I wonder if you could talk about the size of the ministerial class, um, and the seminary, whether you, and whether you think it's more difficult to recruit young men for the ministry in these days. Um, right. So gratefully, um, you know, Maranatha is from the get go has been a liberal arts college with a ministerial core. And the, the, the College of Bible and Church Ministry back in the day, the Preacher Boys classes, uh, those were meant to be somewhat the hub, the missions, you know, all of those things, the hub of our ministry mindset affecting all of the liberal arts students. Um, so what we've seen, and this is interesting over the years, and we're, we deal with on a daily basis here. So our ministerial class currently is just under 25% of our residential student body. That's cool to me. And if that percentage can stay, we're saying amen. We feel like they are actually, and here's the interesting thing over the last just couple of years, and uh, to see that those ministerial students and and even the young ladies on the in the College of Bible and Church Ministry uh, stepping forward, they are becoming our predominant students again as far as leadership among the student body. And that's what we desire and want. We want them to influence the whole mindset of any student, no matter what they are studying here. Um, so with joy, I can say that we're having good effect. Now, we have a number of students that would be we business students, some science students, actually, that are actually contemplating not, not just going into their business fields and serving as lay people in their local church, but because of the strength of the ministerial class, the emphasis of our of our faculty and staff, we're seeing some of them saying yes to saying full time ministry. Um, mm -hmm. We we liked right now. I've I've traveled a couple times, uh, three times. I ran out and joined our fall ministry team. It's called the Impact Team. That's out on the road representing Maranatha. Um, the young man that plays the piano for that team, Joe is his name. Uh, Joe is a business major. He has a music minor. He plays the piano quite well. And in his own testimony, this has been sweet. Yeah, you're just sitting back. You're joining him. I'm going to preach, you know, for one or two services. Um, and in his testimonies between songs, he's saying, you know, the Lord is really working my heart. And I'm really contemplating using my gifting, my love for numbers and, and you know, all the, uh, all the, all the business side to actually be in ministry full time. And I'm sitting over in my seat just going, amen, yeah, praise the Lord. <laughs> That's, and to see that happen is a joy. 
Um, now, what what is interesting, and maybe now that you brought it up, it's it's reminded me what has been some of the other impact of COVID. Um, we we are grateful that. Dr. Marriott had the insight to say we need to get our online educational processes up and running and running well, not not being second rate, being top notch so that we can minister to people beyond our resident students. So we we currently our current if you count all the heads, two thirds of our students are online students. Only a, approximately a third of our students are resident students. Now, we must and will, with every effort, we will maintain and grow and prosper our resident students. There is something that happens on campus and face-to-face that can never happen through technology. Um, you, here we sit, and we're looking at each other on screens, and, you know, Andy's in his car over here, and, and there's, a, there's a breakup. There's a disconnect that, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could all sit down together and banter right. and interact. Um, and so there's, we, have, we, we recognize that there is some loss in that, but we also recognize that people, no, because of their life circumstance, will not come to Maranatha as a resident student. And what has happened on the online side, and this now addresses your question directly about the seminary, um, the vast majority of our seminary students and those involved in any of our uh, biblical Master of Arts programs that are ministry-related, they're all almost all online. And had we not, and had had Maranatha not had that foresight to prepare for that, we, we would be behind the ball. And in fact, rather, we are at the front edge. Um, we have other universities looking to us. How are you doing that? Explain that. What's all? Uh, we have at times called the second miracle of Maranatha when. By God's grace, we were able to get Genzibar um, for a fraction of the cost it costs to provide the, the technological infrastructure so that we could then produce our classes and so forth online so that anybody at any place in the world that has any kind of Internet connection <laughs> can be educated and trained. Um, and that is critical for what's going on in ministry today. So we have a lot of our seminary students, they're older students. Uh, I didn't look this up. I think the mean age of our seminary students now is in the 30s. Mm-hmm. So they're no longer, they're no longer students that, I mean, we have students here, praise God, and we want to keep that and keep that growing that are come right out of Bible college, get right on into their seminary work. We have, we have pathways for them to be getting their masters while they're getting their bachelors too. All those things that's in place. But the reality is, is that many of our seminary folks are people that are already actually out in ministry and we're enhancing the ministry. Now, the downside of that is, is that as you've expressed, Pastor Johnson, is the, the lack of people considering getting into full-time ministry. We're, so we're ministering to people that are already there, but we want to see that grow. Um, so that really is becoming, uh, in many ways, a part of the role of president. Um, I need to, and with God's help, and I, this this has got to be God's work. You don't. How, how do you get this done? Well, we've got some thoughts and ideas, but build relationships. I've got to be in the churches. I've got to be among families and people. Connect with homeschoolers, and again, put in front of them 
the the utter burden that Christ had. The laborers are few. We need laborers. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. So that really will probably be a significant part of what I do for Maranatha if I can is to, to reignite within our churches, within our Christian schools, within our homeschooling setting, and even among believers that get saved in the public school. Come on, we need we need more ministers for Christ. It's yes, everybody everybody is screaming for pastors. Everybody is. Yes, I I know, and every denomination, not just cool. us wacky fundamentalists. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's 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 all over. Yeah. And and one of the things I was thinking on this line, the cost of education, I think, is always a factor. That that has driven some of the online things. Correct. Um, I would think, and and so it might cause some to hesitate about going into the ministry or at least training for the ministry. So what sort of things are you doing to manage costs um, and keeping them as low as possible and keeping them out of debt as much as possible? Right. Um, let me, can I answer it spiritually first? <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah. Um, and then we'll get some of the practical nuts and bolts. Um, when God calls someone to the ministry, he's going to take care of getting their education. Um, I, I trust that you, Andy, we've all experienced and there are testimonies, even this semester, of God doing the unusual to provide for that young person that is financially strapped. How does this happen? How do we get, how do we get money all right, to, to pay for it? Um, if God is in it, God will provide. And that story is a, a significant part of the spiritual development of our faith. I have a God that's always trustworthy. He is going to help me accomplish his calling in my life. Now, how that looks for every individual is unique and different. So, but I, I must help them, first of all, say God is trustworthy, um, and somehow do it. So now, now to answer the practical side, um, yes, uh, one of the answers to that whole financial package is, is that yes, we do run a lean, mean machine around here. <laughs> Um, and some of that is because we, we are striving with God's help to, to keep the cost reasonably low for our students. Um, because of our accreditation, and this is, this is common now among most of our peers in, in the higher education that are training Bible students, uh, because of the accreditation that allows us to access many of the funds that are available from the U.S. government in some way, shape, or form. We recognize that. Um, so there are, we, we have, and here's the unique thing. Um, and this is a reality of Baptist fundamentalism for years. Um, we folks as Baptist fundamentalists usually aren't very rich people. Uh, in, in the standards of our country, we're rather poor. Well, that works for our good when it comes to education because we fall under all these categories. So there are plenty of grants and scholarships available because our constituency is generally considered rather poor. <laughs> now, mm -hmm. as God's children, we rejoice in God's blessings to us. Look at us. We're dressed. We eat. We have houses. You know, we have vehicles to get around. Um, we have an utterly different perspective on our financial world than the world does. And I'm grateful for that. Mm -hmm. But so that actually is a big, huge help and key in a lot of our students having the funds available to be able to get through this, their education processes. Yes, there are loans available, although we highly discourage it every way we can. How do you, okay, wait a second. You don't want to strap yourself after college. Um, all just from a very practical point, I had a young man in my uh, church. So my church was an hour south of here. 
Um, and he wanted the on-campus experience. I was all for it. But Will, his name is Will. Will had to labor. He would so he'd go to school and then he'd step out of school for a year to to work. Uh, the Lord, mm-hmm. and that was the way God provided for him. Um, and God will help him land some significantly pretty decent paying jobs for somebody that has no, no bachelor's degree, uh, but he's willing to just work. Um, and so that helped him. He's going to be graduating in May, getting married. Um, and we're like, yes. And yes, he's a little bit of an older student. And we're starting to see some of that in our student body where our graduates are slightly older because they, I think, in wisdom said, all right, we're not going to go into debt. Um, and, and so we're gonna, we're have to, if we have to step out to work a semester, we will. And that's, that's becoming a little bit more of who we are. Um, the other thing, obviously, we have a, a whole office committed to helping our students get their bills paid. Um, our financial aid office, and they help the students go to bat to help their finances. Um, here's another thing that we, that I will continue to promote. Um, our encouragement is, okay, so we don't have enough ministerial students. Well, why? Well, a number of answers for that. But what about our church families out there? What if they said, we're going to get behind this young man from our church, or maybe this young lady? She's called to missions. She's, she feels like the Lord wants her to be a pastor's wife. We don't even have a pastor husband in mind yet. Wouldn't it be amazing if our churches said, we, we see this as a part of our commitment to training the next generation that we will financially support. And now we've seen some of that. It's starting to trickle in. And that may be one of the keys to helping our, our, our young people get through. Uh, they need their education. It's a part, especially in our culture today still. I mean, I know we hear on the media, all right, you don't need college anymore. Um, but the reality is you get out there and they, on your resume, it's pretty critical. Um, for, yeah. And even, even in our, even in our ministry circles, what do we start looking at? One of the first, where do they go to school? Cause it tells them something about who they are. Um, anyway, so for our churches to get behind that would be something significant that would help. Um, but God provides, yeah. and we're trying to run as efficient as a ship as we can here to keep the costs as low as possible. We, by the way, the board annually really works through that process. Where do we land in the circle of our peers as far as our costs go? Where are we at in the actual actual expenses? You know, we every school has ways to appeal to students. Oh, it won't cost you this much for the first year, but then, or you know. We, <laughs> Um, at the end of the day, when you when when all the dollars are counted, Maranatha is striving to try to stay right in the middle of where most of the schools are at, so that it's reasonable in their cost. Yeah. Well, obviously, and I think there's, you know, I mean, you have to keep the plant running. You got to pay the bills. You got to heat the buildings and air condition the buildings and pay the staff and clean the place. I mean, there's so many things that go into it. Right. Uh, and I do think that our churches. You know, I really think one of the key things we need is revival, a sense of revival in our church. It's not just a sweeping emotional thing, but I mean a real ministry like, like we're not here for now. We're here for the kingdom. Right. And yeah. And, and like you say, supporting students, like we, uh, uh, we, we have done in the past helped a student get to university. You know, they had no means at all. 
the Lord blessed, right? Yes. And and that's what you have to do. Yep. Yeah. So, and even, all right. So Andy, I'm going to turn it over to you. You're you're the uh, you you're the cleanup batter now. So go ahead. Sure. And I think I think I'll, the last question kind of sums up the rest of the Pastor Anderson. Thank you for sharing your heart so much on all of this. Amen. Um, so if you could look 20 years into the future for Maranatha. And you, you were able to get there 20, you had a time machine, you jumped in 20 years ahead and you look back, what kinds of things would you want to see Maranatha still be? What kind of things would you like to see maybe incorporated in the future? If you could dream a little bit, sure you already have, what would you want to see if it was 20 years from now? Right, well, for a fun answer, and it goes along with our name, 20 years from now, we're all in heaven. That's it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> may the Lord come. Right? No, we don't have to worry about any of this. Yes, yeah. May yes. may the Lord come. Um, wow. So obviously there we um, when Maranatha called me to be the president, it it did say that Maranatha is going to stay doctrinally the same. Um, we're we're I'm a Baptist. Um, I I'm I love the Word of God. I want the the expository preaching to be a key and a center to what happens around here. Um, training students to do those things well. Um, anyways, so all of that is, I think, critical to who we are. Um, what I would love to see in the future, 20 years from now, is, and this is this is just with the seriousness of my heart. I would love to see Maranatha graduates literally around the world faithfully serving local churches, seeing churches planted and started. That's our commission. The Lord Jesus Christ gave us a commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. So how is that fulfilled in the first century? Well, the scriptures tell us. You get to the end of the book of Acts, and what do we have? A pile of churches reaching the world for Christ. Um, and... And if we ever lose that fervor, and I, there has been I, um, maybe some loss in it, I hope not. But, I mean, there's a reality. You look around our states and in our fellowships, um, and the numbers are diminishing of churches, not growing. Mm-hmm. The numbers of missionaries out serving, that number continues to diminish. Um, we can come up with numerous excuses and maybe that's a strong word to say excuses. Well, the population is decreasing. You know, the gen- younger generation is fewer. Right. I get it. I understand. But we still have a Lord that wants to reach, that died for this world, that wants to reach the world for Christ, that needs churches around the world. We don't need little people here and there, mission stations. We need churches. That's his program for today. Until he comes, we need churches. And if Maranatha can have a part in that, so that, you know, Dr. Cedarholm, you maybe, Andy, you probably never heard this, but Dr. Cedarholm loved to brag about the fact that a son never set upon a Maranatha grad. Their Maranatha <laughs> grad, and that's a phrase from the old days. Um, I would love to say that 20 years from now, there's not just a few, but hundreds of churches that have been established as a result of kids that are in ministry, are faithful laymen in churches, that their children have caught the vision. And in 20 years, we're dealing with another generation, all right? They've caught that vision, and that the work of God is going forward. Yes, the Scriptures tell us these days are getting darker. The last days are mean. That doesn't mean His work has stopped. 
the gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's church. And so if Maranatha can be a part of that, um, then I think we've fulfilled some of our role uh, in, in God's kingdom work and in the blessings of seeing God's minister and prosper. So, that you know, here, here we go. You know, my kids, I'm going to be like in my mid-70s when Dory graduates from Maranatha. I'm hoping that I could still be present that day. Yeah, you pray that the Lord helps me not do anything stupid, all right, so that I can still be Maranatha present. <laughs> and then it gives me longevity, all right, that there's... I've got good genes in my family and all that, but the, my time is in the Lord's hands. You know that. But wouldn't it be cool, you know, my daughter graduates from Maranatha in whatever it is, 2,422. Anyway, um, and and as I'm still president, and I, I'm able to take a mission trip, and, and I can't go but just a couple hours until I run into another Maranatha grad that's pastoring, and then I go overseas, and there's just... There's Maranatha grads in churches faithfully serving. We don't know their names. They're just servants of the Lord. They're laborers in God's harvest field. But God's work is being accomplished through that. Now, that would be cool. Anyway, there you go. That would be cool. Amen. That'd be awesome. All right, well, that's really good. And we really appreciate you taking the time today with us, uh, Dr. Anderson. It's been a blessing to uh, get a sense of your heart. Mm-hmm. And, and truly, uh, I think, you know, uh, the group of uh, men uh, who are, serving there and at other good colleges that are in our orbit. Right. That's the heart that we all have. That's what we want Amen. to see. Absolutely. Amen. Happening. All right. Well, we're going to sign off now. <clears throat> and so I'm going to ask you guys to hang on for just a couple of seconds afterwards. Sure. But I'm, uh, uh, I'll am i do the sign off. So this is Don Johnson signing off for uh, the uh, Proclaim and Defend podcast with Dr. David Anderson and Andy Montgomery from Indianapolis. So uh, signing off till next time. This has been the Proclaim and Defend podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and give us a good review. If you want to learn more about the FBFI, check out our website at fbfi.org or our blog, Proclaim and Defend, at proclaimanddefend.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Proclaim and Defend podcast.